Hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of Trial by Fire. Uh, I hope you're all well, and I hope wherever you are in the world that you're managing to get out and get some dirt time, regardless of what's happening in the world. Um, I'm still here, I'm still up in the Arctic, working with Aurora Safari Camp and uh, enjoying the winter season up here. It's actually funny funny enough, the, the weather today has just completely changed it's gotten super sunny and warm and we're actually in plus temperatures now which is the first time since i've been up here that i've seen plus temperatures uh up around two degrees uh three degrees as well and the uh the snow has been cascading off my roof all day terrifying <laughs> it's just, i'm just sitting in the living room working away and this huge crash is coming down in my garden a massive mountain of snow that wasn't there before has to be shoveled off the road or off the, the path so it's kind of constant constant maintenance of of the the driveways and stuff up here which is i guess to be expected but uh yeah i don't i don't really mind but um yeah i mean all is good up here uh just have enjoying a beer this evening um i'm working uh, living in a house here as you guys know um for maybe for people who follow me on instagram um and i'm helping with with the rooms so it's an old house um and a lot of the rooms need renovation so i'm painting and wallpapering and and, and doing all sorts of diy stuff in the house around around the house when i'm not at camp so it's nice to have things to keep busy with uh, so that's what i've been doing all day and i think it's just about beer o'clock now so I thought I'd uh, record a, a bit of an introduction to the interview that I did this week. I, um, I had spent or have just come home from spending three days with Northern Soul Journeys. I know I definitely mentioned it a couple of times on the podcast prior to this, that I was going to be heading up there and recording a, uh, a podcast with them at the very least. And I did manage to actually spend enough time with them that I could record maybe a little mini documentary I haven't really looked through the footage yet and um, I'm hoping it's going to be good enough quality to actually be able to produce something um, so very possibly there's going to be a little documentary video uh, I don't know maybe in two weeks or so if time dependent on when I can get time to edit uh, but it was so much fun to hang out with them I'm for anybody who knows me I'm a big dog person I love dogs I don't trust anybody who says that they don't like dogs or you know maybe maybe it's cat people I don't trust cat people but I definitely don't trust people that don't like dogs but anyway um yeah I got to spend two almost two full days with them we we must have been out on the on the with the dogs at least yeah at least three times um going out on trails in the evenings we took a really cool trip one evening where we went took a long trip across the lake uh, up onto the hills and we had a nice coffee and a fire as the the sun went down the dust came and we hopped back on our snowmobiles and, and, and got home by torchlight which was pretty amazing experience i also learned how to actually assemble 
a a sled and the the dogs how to harness the dogs how to chain them up or not chain them up but how to harness them up onto the onto the line and really subtle nuanced uh things that of course come with experience and time but just very very obvious things to me like the difference in for example the power in a sled pulled by six dogs versus a sled pulled by like 12 dogs is absolutely crazy and of course there's advantages and disadvantages to both and you know different types of dogs are required for different types of things and I mean I I learned a lot even in just those those few days uh, which was such an amazing experience I mean even just some of the size of the dogs I mean we all think of when we think of uh when we think of a a dog team we think of these big Siberians or the big Alaskan Huskies pulling this sled and plowing through these like uh these fields or you know through these snow plains and things and actually a lot of their dogs are they're quite small and they're quite agile i mean i have a a welsh springer spaniel at home my dad's dog uh her name is tara and she's quite a, a small little dog but she's fast she's agile um well she's getting on a little bit now but she she was back in the day and i was quite surprised by um the size of some of the dogs they're actually you know they're not all big chonkers that can drag a, a huge sled some of them are more agile and obviously there's advantages to that so just kind of getting a bit of time with these guys and just really understanding the nuances of of their of their you know their pursuit is was was totally fascinating to me um as i said i learned how to assemble a sled and how to um uh, harness up the dogs and things so so that was that was a huge a huge thing for me um we went out on the snowmobiles we got uh, we got bogged down a couple of times uh, we got down bogged down in a place where there was basically overflow on the lake uh, i don't know if any maybe some people had seen this on my instagram i put it up today um which was basically overflow basically how it ha- what what happens as Jeremiah was explaining it to me is that when cracks form in the ice on the lake um you know micro cracks all this water kind of comes up and seeps up through the the cracks in the lake and uh because there's already so much snow on top of the ice uh, and snow is such a good insulator um, it actually retains quite a lot of heat that's why you know we built igloos and, and snow and you know quinzies and stuff out of snow because it's actually it can actually be quite a good insulator um essentially what happens is that the water between the ice uh, and the snow it can't freeze because it's the temperatures aren't cold enough for it to freeze under there so what you're left with is this like three-layered system where you've got well four actually if you consider you've got the water in the lake you've got the thick layer of ice you've got another layer of water that has come up through the cracks and then you've got a huge layer of snow on the top sometimes as thick as as, as high as a meter even you know it definitely comes up to my waist um and this can be quite tricky to get your snowmobile through and if you get bogged down in it you end up basically sitting in a in a in a wet icy wet snowy situation where you have to dig your your snowmobile out of it uh so that happened to us and and you know and it was interesting just to hear about what what that is and um Jeremiah's, who you will hear on the interview um has quite a uh, an extensive background in um restoring 
uh, lakes or rivers uh, to their natural kind of forms and stuff and, and obviously has a very deep understanding of the ecological kind of uh, things that are at play in this land. And it was honestly just a, an absolute privilege to be able to spend this time with these people in their home and really just try and digest a bit of knowledge and a bit of experience from these people. And it kind of led me on to, uh, well, an interesting conversation that, uh, an interesting conversation that Jeremiah and I had, because uh, he's a super humble guy and is a wealth of experience and knowledge, but he doesn't really consider himself like particularly knowledgeable when it comes to like bushcraft and things. Um, and we've had, we, we had a couple of really interesting conversations around um, experience versus knowledge, I suppose. And, and again, it is something that we have spoken about before in the podcast. And I, I think it's a really uh, interesting conversation to have. And, and basically the premise was that, you know, maybe people from Ireland or the UK or even in Sweden and things who don't necessarily get too much of an opportunity to get outside or don't necessarily have a lifestyle that centers around being an outdoors person or, you know, things like that. If you work in an office like I have done for many years or if you work in a city, um, but you have a huge a passion for the outdoors um, an escape from that or, or a way to uh, what's the word I suppose a way to um, relieve the the need to expand your knowledge or experience in the outdoors is to learn from books to learn from YouTube um, even things like you know we've talked about it before on the podcast like practicing your knots at home you know you don't necessarily have to be out in the woods to be practicing things like knots or learning about different tools how to sharpen your knife like these these skills can be um these skills can be practiced at home and don't necessarily have you don't require a forest to to practice them um and so what can happen is maybe over time at least according to jeremiah is that there's this divide between people that have the experience of being outside because that's kind of very much part of their lifestyle. They work outside every day, but they might not necessarily have the the book knowledge of what it is that is surrounding them. And and I think it's something that I've noticed a lot in 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 Sweden in particular, the culture, because I think a lot of people spend a lot of time outside and they always have from a very young age. But maybe something like bushcraft, uh, the fact that it is a relatively new pursuit, I guess, at least for me and, and maybe a lot of people that listen here, it's, it's very much something that you take up as an adult. Um, and so the, the way in which that you uh, access the knowledge and the way that you kind of upskill is very different from someone who has maybe spent their whole life living outside or being outside. And of course, there's exceptions to that. There's many people that have both of those things that they have lived and worked outside their whole lives. And they are extremely knowledgeable when it comes to the books and the the references and the things. And I think it's I think it's really worth um, thinking about these things when we are reading books about navigation, because I think something like navigation is a good example, because you can read 
about compasses and maps and grid references and all that stuff uh, till the cows come home. But until you get outside and you actually have a compass in your hand, you're trying to read a map and you're trying to either find your way somewhere or you're trying to map out something with the likes of palm mapping. Um, only the practical doing and experience of that uh, action can can really allows it to, to sink into the brain. At least for me, that's the case. Um, and I think to bring it back, I suppose, to what I'm doing uh, up here is that I'm very lucky and privileged that I'm almost able to do both of these things. And I think it's important for us all to, although we do read up and we learn and we we there's some extremely knowledgeable people out there. I think the act of doing and experiencing and maybe if you can get yourself somewhere at some point that you're and it doesn't have to be up here like in the arctic it could be dealing with like a local craftsperson that makes i don't know canoes or someone who carves spoons or someone who is really adept at reading a map for example you know like i think hands-on experience in the real world can be just as valuable as being book smart and book informed about particular um topics in in the outdoors and yeah i mean i'm, I'm kind of slightly rambling here so i apologize but i i just think it's a really interesting conversation I, and i i hadn't really thought about the the differences between these two things but yeah i brought it up because i can't i it's almost difficult for me to see what like how he's so humble yet he's so like in my opinion very knowledgeable and very experienced and um i think humility is also important in in order to learn because we don't know it all everybody knows something that you don't know and i think that's really important to keep that in mind when you're when you're going out there but anyway uh ramble over but it was just something that i i kind of had been thinking about in the back of my head after that conversation and i i wanted to share with you guys and i'd love to know what, what your thoughts are on that um what what have you guys done that you know maybe the only way to properly learn it was to get outside and do it or or vice versa maybe there's something that you know although being outside and learning something hands-on can be very practical sometimes actually knowing the nitty-gritty and the fine details the charts and things like that are, are just as important so let me know what you guys think of that because I, I think it's in a it's an interesting conversation to have um, but what I'm going to do now is I'm going to leave you with the conversation I had with Jeremias and Hannah. We sat out there in their living room. Their dog, uh, one of their dogs, they just had puppies. So I think you can probably hear them in the background a little bit. Um, and all around, it was a really beautiful uh, couple of days. They've got a beautiful home, very passionate about what they do. Very interesting people to talk to. And I'm looking forward to getting up and spending more time with them. But until then, uh, I'm going to leave you with the interview I have with them. And I hope you all are keeping safe and getting outside as much as you can. Uh, and until next time, I will say uh, take care and I'll see you soon. All right. It's recording. All right. Nice. All right. So I'm sitting here in uh, Hannah and Yeramice's beautiful home, um, up here in, what is the name of this town actually where we are? 
Engestresk is the village. Engestresk. Yeah. Uh, we're. I'm sure you can hear that. In the background, we've got some puppies. Your one of your dogs recently had. How many? Eight. Eight puppies. Uh, she had eight puppies. Yeah. Unfortunately, one passed away. Yeah. Um, and you guys. I mean, we've been. I've been talking about this to people on the show for a couple of weeks, teasing the idea of getting up here, and it's a conversation that I've been really looking forward to having, um, because we met, what, uh, in November? Yeah, uh, that's about right. We hung out a bit, and we were actually supposed to record a podcast at the time, but we didn't really have the opportunity for yeah. it and stuff, and it was something that I was really, really looking forward to getting up here and talking to you guys about dogs, about, you know, life up here and, 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 and things like that, and... Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's no been, worries. Thanks for being here. It's been We're a really nice day. Yeah, it's been a really nice day. We got <laughs> bogged down in some... I, I I think it was nice to see even someone like Jeremiah can get bogged down in his snowmobile. <laughs> it makes me, <laughs> makes me feel a bit better because it happens to me more than I'd care to admit. Um, yeah, it is special circumstances. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, what you were saying that like the, the it was like overflow. Yeah. Uh, so overflow is when you get enough snow that puts pressure on the ice, creates little tiny cracks or big cracks in the ice, and then water from underneath that's not frozen ends up on top of the ice. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a great proof of how good of an insulator the snow is because the water does not actually freeze. Yeah, it just sits there as water in between the actual ice and the snow. It might be 50, 60 centimeters thick right now. Yeah, uh, and the snow that's on top. So when you're driving through it, and now when we've had so much snow and wind, we can't find the trails at all. So we sort of have to guess it, wing it, sort yeah. of pin it over the lakes and yeah. see, like, is this hard? Yeah. And yeah. today it wasn't. Yeah, well, so. I mean, we were bombing it over, like, pretty much, like, un- unmarked tracks and just yeah. trying to hedge our bets and hope for the best. But we ended up in, I mean, essentially, like, a, a good probably foot of water yeah Um, and there was one one part i i i I knew that we missed the trail like it was very obvious um but on the other part where we got stuck the trail i knew exactly where the trail was Mm. but it did not matter it it was just completely completely saturated not saturated but overflowed with water completely it was completely gone the dogs were like like Screw this. Yeah. It's not fun. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because the dogs are better at finding the trail than we are as humans. Like, yeah. they know where the trail is. They can feel if they're on or off the trail. Um, but uh, when it got to that point where we were trying to get across today, they are like, this isn't fun anymore. We want to go home. <laughs> they're like, so nope. <laughs> the dogs tell you when it's time to go home. <laughs> today they definitely yeah, today did. they definitely did. Yeah. They were not happy about it. But it's it's good training for them. It's good training for us. We Yermias and I were talking about the fact that we've been really spoiled because we have not had overflow like this mm-hmm. in ages. Right. So it was like, oh yeah, this happens. <laughs> this yeah. happens normally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And talk to me a little bit about that because I think it's one of the things that I've heard from, uh, I guess just from watching like you know, National Geographic documentaries and things about people who run dogs who I think there was and you might have said it to me as well as like there's a responsibility that the dogs uh, that the dogs trust you that you're not going to put them in danger 
-hmm. but then the other side of it you have trust in the dots that they're gonna understand that if something doesn't feel right or something feels weird that they're not they're going to be hesitant and you have to like basically not force them into a situation that instinctually they don't feel is 100 percent. like it is it is a it is a teamwork mm. from from start we need to trust the dogs and the dogs needs to trust us and we need to learn uh, how to communicate with the dogs and we need to learn how each individual dog communicates with us to ensure that each run is a safe one, is a joyful one, and that they are actually enjoying and not feeling pressured into doing anything that they want to do. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a sort of, every time we stop, you see tails up in the air, wagging, happy being dogs. super happy, mm-hmm. yeah, happy tails. Like it's, it's sort of a... a um, nice validation of, of, of your communication with the dogs even if it's very sudden or you might not say a word but you're still they might still look back at you and get confirmation of like is this where we're going mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or they might look back at you like today and say this is not where we're going <laughs> right <laughs> it's right. too much water what are we doing yeah yeah yeah, yeah it, it's it's a super interesting idea to me and, I, and it's one that i suppose for, for on some weird level really makes sense to me and i think it become i think it's from having dogs my whole life, really mm. being a dog person in whatever that means. Um, and and you're essentially dealing with living animals. You're not, they're not machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they've all got their own personalities, I'm sure. And some of them work better with others. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, at what point, like, how do you dis- how do you work with, when? how many dogs do you have now? 23 and seven little wigglers. Okay, 23 <laughs> and 70 wiggler, uh, seven wigglers. Like... That's 23 different personalities, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, like, in regards to what we said before, and, and it also pertains to this, is, like, if you read any literature about dog mushing, dog training in groups of dogs, it's it always comes down to you have to know your dogs. And I think that that is sort of, like, the key of it. You have to know what these small movements and these small details of each individual individual dog what it what it means for them Mm. and um understanding their body language with each other as well Mm -hmm. we've spent a long time and we still are learning you know like just studying our dogs and how they interact with each other um and it's always the yeah the different kinds of barks they make and what they mean when do i need to perk my ears up for certain noises I might hear a noise and I'm just ignoring it, but then a noise switches and then mm. all of a sudden I have to go out and see what's going on. Mm. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of things, and we and we always say this well that we're constantly learning. Like yeah. you're never finished learning, sure, just I in life. Imagine. You know, yeah. you're 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 never finished learning. I can only imagine. But like you guys aren't up here too long, right? How long have you been up here now? In this area, we've been. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, four years. In this area. Three and a half years, four years, four yeah. years. I think it's coming up to four years. Yeah, it's coming up to four years because I'm 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 born and raised forty five minutes away from here. Okay. So it's sort of. You're just down my, the road. My, yeah, my yeah. my. It's your home turf. My home turf, yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure. Yeah. And for me, I grew up in Connecticut. Yeah. So, but I I moved to Sweden almost six years ago. Okay, and you you worked with dogs before you got here. Or? I did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I worked with dogs for a couple of years before I moved out here. Okay. 
and then wanted to continue working with dogs. And so I started working for someone in Sweden okay. who had a kennel. Okay. And that's where we met. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And, and what, uh, what process is involved in, like, do you have to, do you get like a stock of dogs to begin with, like your starter pack? <laughs> you know? So it's actually interesting the way it started for us because when we left our, our old kennel, Yedemius was, I asked him many, many times, are you sure you want to have dogs? Yeah. Because having sled dogs, I feel like for, for me, it was really important that my partner also wanted to have sled dogs. Of course. I can, and well, I mean, can you, I can only imagine it, like the amount of attention that's required and yeah. time dedication that's required to a pack of dogs. And you have to really love it. Yeah, so, but he was saying, I want sled dogs. Yeah. I really want it. <clears throat> yeah. And when we left our old kennel, we were gifted an old dog which I had requested. I said, I want an old dog to start with uh -huh. who can sort of be the, the leader. And um, so we had him, and then a couple months later, we got a puppy from them. Okay. Um, and we were just planning on having those two boys for the start, and then we were going to wait a couple years and then start thinking about it. But I think... It was during that summer, like <clears throat> not, long ago, uh, not long after we uh, had picked up the puppy, that a uh, childhood friend of mine texted me and said that her partner, her boyfriend, had uh, dogs they was going to get rid of. They had been been dog mushing for, for a number of years, but he sort of, his private situation, private life sort of dictated that he couldn't have dogs in the capacity any, that he wanted anymore. Mm -hmm. So she, she just sent a message and asked if we we're interested. And uh, we were... Actually, I went to canoe paddling then and had a, a, I can't remember if it was lunch or dinner, but it was a... a dinner. Oh, yeah, on the peninsula there. It was the yeah. first time we were able to be alone without the dogs right. <laughs> in a long time. And we right. were like, ah, so peaceful. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> bling, do you want four sled dogs? Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> we didn't make the decision right then and there, but... It's like, yeah, we'll go and have a look at them and... It ended up being yeah. four dogs. Four more dogs. Oh, four more dogs and the two boys. Yeah. And the two boys, so yeah. So we had six dogs. and uh, So we spent one winter like that. One winter with six dogs, yeah. that's right. And then the following spring, um, we decided to start a company to be able to basically finance the lifestyle that we want yeah. to have in and around dogs as much as possible yeah. and do what we want to do. And that summer we got four more dogs. The first round. That spring we got four more dogs the first yeah. round. And then that's later that summer we got three more. Three more? Mm -hmm. Okay, so it accumulated pretty fast. Yeah. Well yeah. like having having six dogs or fourteen dogs is the same. Like yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, the only the only thing that, that changes or even having Training two dog two dogs to six dogs. That cost uh, training mm -hmm. and it takes longer time to uh, do the chores yeah yeah sure but the amount of attention you need to pay on them is equal also. E equal in in like in in uh, each individual still needs enough yeah. uh, it still needs a lot of attention to them to make sure that they excel as a a, a personality and a dog and a sled dog and whatever they want mm. to be but to be honest, like it all came on really fast. Like, yeah. And it was like overwhelming at that sure, time. Sure, I can imagine. Yeah. It, it really was very overwhelming. Um, and 
I remember when we had this first like little pack, it was like, um, yeah, you're, you're always doing this like second guessing, like, is this the right decision? Is this what we want to do? And, and the pack was new to each other cause they were from some different kennels yeah. with different expectations. Plus we had some puppies uh, that we had one that we had bought two that were born at our place. Yep. The mother to these puppies. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it all sort of just happened very quickly. And then all of a sudden we had almost 20 dogs, I think, that first winter with puppies. Wow. Yeah. Because yep. we ended up having two litters. <laughs> that's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. One with two and one with nine. Yeah. That's crazy. We like didn't it. keep all nine of those, no. though. I mean, I guess it's a weird, it's a weird uh, world for me in the sense that, although I am a dog person i love dogs and i suppose with anybody that has a normal kind of relationship with having pets dogs as pets where you remember your dogs you're like you had ben you had carrie you had tari and you had rusty mm. and they were my four dogs mm. growing up but for you guys it's like well well first of all they're 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 in some way a source of income because you have tourism mm -hmm. you know you're using them for tourism and obviously they have to you know be all fed and and you know they're they're where is the the balance between um them being a commodity or sort of a resource versus being like part of the family you know what i mean because i suppose that would be difficult for me because i would i would be terrible at that because each one of them would be like a pet to me but do you see them as pets or do you see them as yeah yeah it's, it's, it's a it's yeah. a very it's, it's a very good question and but the line is blurred like it, yeah. the line is it's very blurry but we or not? It's not necessarily blurry. That that that. Uh, oh, how do how do you put it in in, in words? Like, we we tell guests and and anyone that asks, like we would do this anyway. Like we would try and be out as much as we can, no matter how, we would be able to sort of mm -hmm. work our life around it. But the option here, where we are based, is finding another job that takes. 45 50 minutes of commute one way working eight hours and then have commuting back 45 50 minutes mm -hmm. on a good day so that's almost 10 hours away from having being able to work with your dogs mm -hmm. so we wanted to do or we wanted to spend time with our dogs as much as we can and then taking people out for an experience for a tour and things like that it's a it's a great way of being able to finance the dogs making sure that they can get the uh, top quality food yeah. that they deserve and that they need yeah. to perform uh, we can give them the attention that they <clears throat> would not be able to be given if we would have to live or if we have to work yeah. in town for example sure sure so there's the the uh, <clears throat> it is a way for, for us doing tours for example it is a way for us to make sure that we can give the dogs the best care that we can so it's a it's a holistic sort of like vicarious or not vicarious but like a cyclical mm. system yes yeah. like um as well like they're not our only source of income no. right. we don't we're very privileged to not rely a hundred percent it's it's our own choice that yeah. we've made we don't rely a hundred percent on the tourism and this winter not having very many tours sure has been sort of this like oh we're we're actually of course we do calculations and everything are we going to be okay financially and, and we have been okay so it sort of gave us a chance to revisit what last winter looked like 
which was very, very busy. And we felt, for our mental health, a little too busy. Yeah. Versus this winter, which has been incredible, mm. but we, you know, don't mm. have any money. But uh, some sort of balance in between yeah. those two things would yeah. be great for us. So it's, we, the when we, we got dogs and we said, okay, we're going to do some tourism. Like our main thing, our main goal was like, we want to be able to say no. We want right. to be able to say, I'm sorry. Right. This is where we're cutting it off. Yeah. And, and it's an interesting kind of uh, take on things. And it's something that I've been lucky enough to have kind of in some ways gotten involved in this year um for people that know me obviously like coming from ireland being a graphic designer had the nine to five mm. and i have people messaging me friends and stuff at home saying you know don't ever go back to the nine to five it's a trap and you know you're living the dream and all this kind of thing but at the same time i mean even when i worked with john in in uh, in the canoe center i mean they didn't they have a, a cruise ship that they have mm. on the lake and it's used for like um it's used for like parties and mm-hmm. it's like an it's like a two hour trip to so like go up the lake or around the around the islands mm-hmm. and come back and people hired for birthday parties and yeah. you know it's older people mainly and this year it wasn't running because they couldn't uh keep people's distance mm-hmm. and so all they had to worry about this year was the canoe center and actually john was saying and Linda were both saying that like how free they felt that they didn't have to worry about the shift that they right. only had to concentrate on the canoe center and and also on another level for me having come from dublin uh with a certain pay grade uh and you know what that entails living in a city and work and having a career and, and experience and stuff i took a huge cut to come over here and to work with john in the, in the outdoors and things and in some ways you know a lot of people would say oh you're you're living this dream it's like yeah but actually i don't have that much money mm-hmm. i have right. just about enough that i'm happy but there is a balance for sure. And I know exactly what you're saying in the sense that I don't have as much money as I used to have, mm-hmm. but I'm probably exponentially happier than I ever for have, sure. right. you yeah. know, happier than I ever have been. And, you know, who knows where I'll be a year from now in terms mm-hmm. of career wise, maybe I'll go back to design or something, but you know, I'm fine with having a, a small, a small amount of income and a very minimal amount of living expenses. Mm-hmm. That That's sort of what we're, <clears throat> our sort of, <clears throat> sorry, our sort of holistic long goal has always been sort of that we don't necessarily want to leave our place unless we have to. Yeah. And whatever whatever that means is sort of an unclear thing and how we're going to go about it is an unclear thing. Yeah. But the more we can spend here at home yeah. together uh, with the dogs, with our extended family, with the dogs and everything, mm. it's like... That's our goal. Yeah. So we need to find a way to work around that. Yeah. And it does take a reframing of like goals. And for some people, um, again, people saying like, oh, you, you packed up and left. It's like, yeah, but you, you really have to reframe what it is that you, f- you find important in life. Is it about, right. is it about, and you know, the disadvantage is the fact that I'm probably not going to be able to afford a mortgage anytime soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, unless I lived up here, you know, where <laughs> yeah. housing prices are pretty, pretty crazy how cheap they are. Um, and obviously there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a balance with that, you know, but yeah, you know, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, I think, I I mean, yeah, sorry. You know, I just think happiness and health mentally are, are, can sometimes be more valuable than having shitloads of work coming in. Exactly. And going, going back to that then with the, uh, mental happiness and what, with the first question you asked about how do we balance the sort of having the dogs as an income and and not 
feeling like we're using them or mm-hmm. using them for as an income resource, as yeah. a resource kind of thing. Yeah. We decided right away that we're only going to do one group at a time. Mm-hmm. So one party, it doesn't matter if it's one person or six people. That's our, this is our maximum. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to fill up those spots that are sort of left out. So if it's one person coming, that's, per, that's the person coming. And we only do one tour per day. So we're in all sorts of ways, we're limiting the amount of the work that we need to do with the dogs to mm. keep us and the dogs happy of not having to do... Limited amount of work that we do with guests. Limited amount of the work that we do with guests, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, to keep ourselves happy and, and healthy and... And so that the dogs get a change of scenery. Because when we when we do with guests, we have a well-prepared trail that is Because we are only doing suitable. short tours with yeah. guests. We, we also decided that we only wanted to do short tours with guests. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we do use pretty much the same trail with them. Yeah. What's that, like an hour? Well, it's about um, 17, it's 17, 17 kilometers. kilometers okay. So it's anywhere from... Two and a half to three and a half. Yeah, if we do lunch and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, so that's sort of our way also of uh, not using the dogs as a as a main source of income and resource to be able to afford everything. Mm-hmm. We have different they have different sources of income, and we minimize the amount of work they need to do for money. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. they they they. It's still like reasonable to. They're paying for their rent, basically. They're paying yeah, for their yeah. rent. Yeah, that's sort of right. how we see it. Yeah. They pay for their food. Yeah. I think we had done the most of the tours that we got this year were in December. Yeah. And I think it's when they paid it, for their food. And yeah, and, and we said, oh, well, we've at least paid for their food for the winter it's season. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. 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 And after, everything after that is a bonus. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wanted to ask you as well, because we had spoken a little bit about in the car, but it is something that I did want to touch touch on as well was the, the structure of the. Um, of the pack itself and how you uh because obviously dogs get old you know mm. some of them can't really work anymore and that's uh, you know you were saying that you have to have a very clear plan in place as to what it is what's your plan when it comes to like retired dogs versus puppies how much time is dedicated to training them mm. um would you were and like it was really interesting and if you don't mind maybe re kind of explaining that for for people listening so we were talking about uh, the different <clears throat> sort of, I guess, the hardships of dogs. And unfortunately, they all, uh, or we outlive all of them. Yeah. Unfortunately. Hopefully. So, yeah, ho- mm-hmm. hopefully. Yeah. Um, so that's something that you need to have an idea of how to deal with, both yeah. um, emotionally and, like, practically. Yeah, of course. Even if the first one is impossible to actually prepare for because it's it's individuals like no matter how many dogs you have at least for us mm. it is still individuals that you have to deal with yeah so we, we have uh, we have a general idea of how we're gonna uh, deal with older dogs and one way to do to deal with them in the best way for us is to make sure that we have dogs that are in different age groups so not all dogs are right now for example five years old then if we would have six five six dogs that are five years old right now, five years down the line, we would have six ten year olds. An old pack. And that yeah. would be a lot of old dogs. Yeah. And you can't really balance out an old dog and expect an old dog to run as much as a young dog or have the same energy. And so it's unfair to both the young dog to suppress its will to run and force the old dog to run to meet the uh, the, balance, the yeah. balance of the pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, so having dogs in different age groups. 
Um, and we actually have this on the computer. Yeah. So we have an Excel sheet. With an Excel okay. sheet. <laughs> Super organized. We, yeah, I mean, this was something we learned from our old kennel, and um, it's a very useful tool. We basically have, and we have various, our dog's data is in yeah, various forms. Yeah, I saw forms. It, even inside you had like a mag, you had like a magnet board with all the names yeah. of the oh, dog. Oh, yeah, there. yeah. What's that? Is that for? That's for making the teams. Okay. Yeah, and but then, the yeah. for the ages of the dogs, to see it uh, sort of an overview, mm. Um, it's basically each column is a different year. You've got employees. You're basically, <laughs> you're basically like dealing with yeah. employees. It's crazy. And then you it, can it is see. A, it is a team. You can yeah. easily see. Okay, I have. I actually do have five six-year-olds, or I have yeah. four. You know, so we you can actually see it visually. Sure. The sort of where there's sort of a heftier group of dogs, and where there's okay, there's only one or two dogs in this age group. Okay. Um and. Uh, yeah, it's sort of a good way to see an overview of the age of, super of the dogs. It is super interesting, and it it, it gives an overview because mm. just as human dogs does not age the same way. Yeah. So these. Um, so a dog might retire. Of, yeah. At, like, I'm. I don't know if you had said this, but we um our dogs we don't expect them to run after the age of ten. Okay. So. Of course, they might stop running earlier, but we plan for them to run until they're 10 years old. Okay. And then, it doesn't mean they stop running, we just don't count on them. Okay. So that team board you saw, it is correlated to another sort of Excel sheet that we have where every single kilometer they've ever run at our place is put in data. Mm -hmm. So we know how much they've been running, if they haven't been running if they've been running more than another dog and how we balance that out. Mm -hmm. So, and we use that of course to plan so that we take out the dogs that hasn't been running or needs running or, you know, so we leave the dogs home that needs to rest. Mm -hmm. So, cause it, it's, it's 23 individuals that we need to deal with and having all of their individual data in your head is impossible. It's impossible. Oh, it's impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would make yeah. you absolutely crazy. Yeah. So we have that and that team board, is unless you're running extension. all the dogs at the same time yeah. together yeah, you know course, there's it's, it's an extension yeah. of that to be able to plan so that each dog doesn't run too much or doesn't run mm. too little mm. yeah. so yeah. that they're even in in, in the numbers in that way and like older dogs as i said they still will run mm -hmm. but they run as much or as little as they want to and we sort of have to gauge that on them and see okay are they enjoying themselves are they having fun and then as they're older and they can only do short runs, then mm -hmm. we do just short runs with them and let them have fun. If they don't want to go out anymore, then they play in the kennel, they go on walks in the forest, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but we want every dog, even if they're not the best runner, even if they're old, if they're still young, like each dog needs to have a role in the kennel. Yeah, of course. Um, so we want them to be part of the pack and still have a job to do. I think for me, like you were saying before, working with, like having pets versus having working dogs. I remember like falling into this working dog life. And once I was in it, like I couldn't go back. Right. I couldn't see, I couldn't see life with just a pet dog anymore. It was like too exciting for me and too, too thrilling to have, to have just the pet. Okay. Like for me, it was like the dog has to do something. Right. And that doesn't mean I don't, I think pets are fantastic. Yeah. I just personally was like, I can't go back to having just a pet anymore. Okay. You know, yeah, I, I've, I've never had a pet dog and I can't necessarily see, well, the, 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 the depends on how you define a pet dog, I guess, but 
in this context that we're talking about it, I would also have a very hard time to see, to have a dog that uh, doesn't have more of a purpose than being your companion. Um, so that the dog, the dog in itself, in my world means its own sort of life purpose rather than being your companion that's interesting so they need to have their own goals in life their own like achievements yeah. rather yeah. than being your sidekick yeah. yeah 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 no that's really interesting and mind you i will say like i think people are always wonder about this is that like we do have dogs that sleep in the bed yeah we do have dogs <laughs> yeah. that sleep inside well, that we was, have couch potato dogs that was my next question yeah. because yeah. clearly you guys love your dogs you know, and they're wonderful companions as well mm-hmm. as everything else. And not, but maybe that's a secondary trait. Um, but you guys have a rotation system where you you'll have like two or three dogs in the house at a time, and you let them stay in the house and sometimes yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. six, six eight. eight. Now, right now, because we have the puppies inside, this is the first time we've had a, a litter of puppies in the winter. Okay. So normally they'll have the puppies outside if it's warm enough, okay. but because it's cold. She's inside. So things are a little bit different. There's only certain dogs we'll allow in at the moment. Mm -hmm. Once they get a little bit older, Mm -hmm. things will be different. Mm -hmm. But yeah, normally we'll have anywhere from two to six or eight dogs in here cuddling on the sofa. Mind you, not every dog that we have likes being inside. Right. Okay. Um, Some of the dogs that we've bought, uh, they just aren't that into it. It makes them feel uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Like the... the, uh... The way, the way uh, we read it, or the way I read it, I should say, is that they get uncomfortable without the prospect of the, like, vastness of the forest. That they have. We have the kennel in the forest, so they can see around them. So they feel enclosed, maybe, yeah. when they're in the house? At, uh, yeah. Especially Frost, like... Yeah, I mean, Frost... Frost is a good example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a be- what a beautiful boy. Yeah, he's, yeah. A big, he's a big, beautiful boy. And he's, my so, <laughs> he's so cuddly, he's yeah. like... A great loose dog. You know, yeah. you take him in the forest. He's right by you. He yeah. wants to be with humans all the time. But inside the house, he's like... It's like he, he becomes this nerve-wracking like <laughs> yeah. okay. So it's like, we're, we're not going to force a dog being inside like yeah, that. Sure. Because he is clearly so happy being outside. So there's no need for us to put that on him. Yeah. Because we have other dogs that will love being inside they might gladly not, they, take take his spot to yeah. go inside but right. none, none, none of them are like dying to live inside okay they no. like they like being inside they like sleeping inside for a night we have one dog junior for example he loves being on the sofa but when he's ready to go out he wants to be yeah. outside yeah. Right. fully when outside. he's in his harness as well he's like okay we are working right yeah so it, it is the it's it's nuanced. It's individuals mm-hmm. like that. It, it will always come down come come down to uh, working with your dogs as individuals. Yeah, of and course that's you have the holistic pack. Yeah, you have the holistic pack and and making sure that everyone can work together. Mm. But for everyone to work together, you need to work with the individuals. Yeah, like it it, mm-hmm. it 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 is basically, or I I often. Uh, when people ask how it is to work with 23 dogs um i have the analogy of you're the like you're at, you're at a class reunion everyone is drinking you're the only designated you're the designated driver okay <laughs> everybody's drinking and everyone's <laughs> drinking you know so so no one can drive home but you're the one that makes sure that john doesn't fight with 
Karen because they have some sort of history back then or you saw something happening earlier in the evening so you need to avoid that by steering them and putting them not in, in, the, in a position where they have to argue and then get everyone home safe in the evening. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that's sort of what we need to do on a daily basis. We need to gauge of how the dogs are interacting with each other. Yeah. Party planner. Yeah. Party planner <laughs> or, or a peacekeeper. Peacekeeper, right, right, yeah. Because right, right. Yeah. Uh, we, like, we, we, we don't want to put the dogs in situations where they will um, act out in, in the wrong way. Because yeah. they, they, they will act out in the wrong way if they feel threatened or pressure into something. Yeah. yeah. So being able to plan and make sure that the dogs are working as individuals to then work in a pack is really important so it is that you need to make sure that everyone gets home in the evening mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. safe and sound mm-hmm. no one has done anything stupid that they will regret the next morning or <laughs> yeah you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I, I think um just to come back to what you're saying there about the dogs having an individual uh kind of uh goal aside from just being your buddy or your 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 psychic um I think it's weird because obviously humans and dogs have for millennia have had such a symbiotic relationship wherein the dog's function was to provide some sort of, uh, you know, um, like protection, for example, mm-hmm. versus, you know, I mean, like the, the dogs, you know, like wolves, for example. I mean, I don't know if this is true, but the, the old legacy goes that wolves came closer to humans because they knew that they were a source of food. They mm-hmm. gave them scraps. And in 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 payment for that, the the wolves protected the humans from other predators, other predators yeah. and things like that. That's how I've always learned it as well. Yeah, yeah. And it was a really beautiful documentary a couple of years ago. I think it was a three parts BBC documentary about um, dogs and humans' relationship to them, mm-hmm. and it showed this tree of like the different breeds of dogs around the world and how they've been genetically not genetically but through breeding engineered to. You know, like St. Bernard's, for example, mm-hmm. being big, heavy dogs. And then you've got dogs that are more um, more bred to, like, be in the deserts, like Afghans and things right. like that. And and then even through the Second World War, we had, like, Dachshunds were mm-hmm. used to sniff out mines, for example, yeah. or, yeah. like, because of their long bodies. And, you know, and we've always had this beautiful relationship with, with dogs where they've been able to provide a service or they've been able to provide some sort of skill in 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 exchange for you know f- food and shelter and things from us and i think it's only been in the last maybe i don't know 150 years maybe 50 years that we've started to really uh soften up on our dogs expectations of mm. of um the relationship and it's no longer been about a working relationship it's more about uh like you said the the lap dog the companion that sits at home or whatever and you bring it out for walks and stuff mm. so i think actually what you guys do i think it's it's a far more it's a very pure relationship i think with an with the animal um and it's it's pretty fascinating to me because as i said i'm a huge i'm a big dog lover anybody mm. who knows me i will literally like be the guy that runs across the road to pet someone's <laughs> dog you know like honestly and and the fact that i don't have a dog right now um of my own makes it ex- like makes that even more of course. I don't know why. It's just it's all... Well, it's funny that you say that because when I used to live, I used to live in London. Yeah. And uh, when I lived there, my friends would always laugh at me because I was also the person that would run across the road to yeah. pet a dog. I, yeah. And when I told all my friends, like, you know, I, I went to art school. So, like, I was expected to live in a city. And then when I told my friends, hey, I'm moving out to Alaska to work with sled dogs, 
everyone was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, no one was surprised, sure, you know? Sure. <laughs> Dogs, Hannah, yeah, that yeah, makes sense. It, yeah, it works. Yeah. <laughs> it, it talks to me a little bit about that. So you went from New York to, or you grew up in Connecticut, but then you mm-hmm. went to New York in college, and then you moved up to Alaska? I actually went to London for university. Okay. Um, okay. So I moved to the UK and then moved back, and from there I moved to New York. Uh, and was miserable. Right. And I just needed a change. And it was the summertime, actually. So what were I moved... you doing in New York? Um, so I worked for a... I, wor- I worked as a freelance uh, prop maker, you could say. Okay. So I worked a lot on shop window displays. Okay. The company yeah, yeah. that I worked for mostly okay. did, did uh, projects with that. So... Um, front, of, front of house kind of sale marketing and all that. Or like... Um... No. Or <laughs> like... Um, you have a shop window display where you need to have giant bees in the shop window display. Because, and you build those. And we would build the bees. Oh, that's cool. So I worked for a company that would do the design and everything, and okay. I was just a little worker. That's cool. Um, so that's sort of, yeah, what I did. But I, I was miserable. I right. hated New York. Even though my family was there, I didn't really have friends. All my friends were back in London, and um, I just needed a change of scenery. So I saw a job in the summertime to work with sled dogs in Alaska. <laughs> I was like, oh, that looks like fun. Okay, I'll apply. I probably won't get it, blah, blah, blah. And then I applied, I got it, and 10 days later I moved out there. Wow. I was like, okay, I, I really needed a change. That's so cool. Alaska's the the, that, the famous last frontier. Of course. That everybody kind yeah. of aspires to. I mean, I, I feel like here is like a mini Alaska. Yeah. Um, although I've never been to Alaska, obviously, but I can imagine. <laughs> uh, and we all like, I mean, I loved... I love that show, like Life Below Zero, mm. and you know, following the people's oh, it's lives. It's a fun show. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it, it's there's a certain amount of script involved and yeah. stuff. But was your experience of Alaska similar to what? What was your expectation versus your the reality of being up there? Um, I went in with zero expectations. Right. I actually knew nothing about sled dogs. Okay. I wasn't like a sled dog fan or anything like that. I was just like, I love dogs. I love working dogs. I'm going to try this. And uh, when I moved there, it was, uh, as said, it was the summertime. So it was a bit of a different experience. But it was an incredible exposure to life outdoors Mm -hmm. in a way that I hadn't experienced before. But sort of, it was like coming home, if that makes sense. I had always enjoyed the outdoors. um, But I didn't grow up in a family that was experiencing it all the time. So I had small experiences here and there, but it, when I went there, I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. This makes sense. Yeah. yeah, it was really like, okay, I know yeah. where I'm supposed to be now. Yeah, I think a lot of listeners and myself included would understand what that feels yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Now yeah. I understand. Yeah. yeah. But we, we did make an active choice to live in Sweden versus the United States because, mm-hmm. of course, me being American... And us being a married couple, we had the choice, okay, do we want to live in Sweden or do we want to live in the States? And of course, Alaska would be where we would have headed, but we decided that Sweden was a better place to live um, and raise a family, which we want to do. Sure, sure. Um, financially, it's the yeah. smarter choice. And we do love it here. We we love living, at least I, I do love living in Europe. Um, right. So we're happy to be here, for, yeah. for now at least. You didn't have to go too far. No. 45 minutes. Well, yeah, that's the uh, how far it is now, but I took a detour to some places. Uh, no, I, I really realized that I wanted to do uh, work with people in the outdoors more. 
when uh, I started gymnasium. Uh-huh. I don't know what that is. Well, like. for, yeah, it's so secondary school for people that are under, so it's high school essentially. Second right. half of high yeah. school. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, so it's like the last, the last like three years of yeah. school basically. Yeah. 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 So I, uh, I uh, started a program um, 700 kilometers south from where I grew up. It was geared towards like international rescue work. Okay. Uh, so we and and it was a lot of like the field work of working in in operations in of course first aid and then all of that sort of mm. being outside and helping people yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. And we got the chance to do a lot of uh, diving. And after those three years, I went to Cyprus and Tenerife to work with diving as mm -hmm. a diving guide. Okay. And it was in Tenerife when I was there during Christmas. I spent yeah, the winter there that I realized that a Christmas without snow is not Christmas. <laughs> sucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I loved working with people and I loved working like as a guide and everything. Yeah. That, I mean, that was when I was like 18. Yeah. Yeah. 18, so 19, yeah, 18. Yeah, I think it really suits your personality. You're like a natural sort of, like, le like a like a guide. I can yeah. I can absolutely see you, like... Your words, not mine. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 but I, I not, not, no kiss and ass or whatever, but, I, but I, I do genuinely feel as though, like, you suit the role, for yeah. sure. Yeah, for thank sure. you. Yeah. Uh, no, but then I realized that I wanted to do something at home, but I wanted to do it, like, in a reasonable way like I, I of course I grew up in Carlix in a small town in the Gulf of Bothnia or in the Bay of Bothnia um, and we were always outdoors and that was sort of a huge part of, of, of my life but it was not necessarily defined into showing people how to be outside yeah so I felt like I was I was lacking that sort of professional aspect mm. so there I was looking up like how can I make it a little bit more of a professional aspect and, and approach towards it. Mm -hmm. So I applied to a two-year uh, guide school in Finland. The Outdoor Academy? Yeah, exactly. Oh, did you do that? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I wanted to talk, you about, talk yeah. to you about that. I, I, not to cut you off, but I, I discovered that like maybe a year ago. Yeah. I really want to go there. Yeah. I really want to do it. It's a, it's a fantastic place. I did it in between. I'm going to miss the year so, like, mismark the years misquote the year so bad now but 2012 to 14 okay maybe i ah. we we met in 2015 the end 12, of 2015 so. uh then maybe it wasn't then ah anyhow <laughs> so i did uh, i did two years there amazing uh because i wanted to have that sort of holistic uh, holistic and, 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 and yeah well-rounded but then also like a uh, a uh, professional base to lean on yes so that i felt that i actually knew what I was doing and that mm. I was capable of, of actually taking people out and yeah. showing them yeah. the outdoors in a good way. And educated and you had educated, a good background. Exactly. And, yeah, and, yeah, I, and yeah. I had the the teachers there are fantastic. So yeah. I had them to sort of bounce off yeah, ideas of and, and and you had a good network of people that are still working within the outdoors. So you can sort of mm. shoot a message and see if there's good anything. connections. Did you get did you get many like um I get the sense, and one of the reasons why I wanted to attend was that, yes, the education, but also the, the I guess, the networking that's involved in somewhere like that, yeah. where there's always going to be someone who has a connection with in some sort of line that you would be interested in getting into. 100%. Like, it, it, it is, 
it is like you the there is this yeah uh, outdoor academy facebook group for people that have have attended to a school and every now and then you see like hey i need a guide a sea kayaking guide in svalbard or mm -hmm. i need a uh, glacier guide in iceland mm. and the the beautiful thing with that school is that it sort of sets you up for all of these things and uh, as I've understood it from employers and things like that, the school has actually quite a, a reputation. good reputation. Yeah. So yeah. it's yeah, you have a good base to stand off. You have a good base to work off from. Yeah. Even if I'm not working yeah. uh, as a climbing instructor or a sea kayaking instructor yeah. or sort of those things that was within the fields that we were more yeah. diving deep into, I still got the professional aspect of how to work with people, how to work with... Uh, group dynamic and all of those things that are hard to uh, or might 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 be bad to sort of try and wing it when you're working with paying customers and figuring out that okay this doesn't work yeah you might lose those customers yeah. and then future customers yeah because it didn't work out yeah. so then for, for me it just was a a, a uh, mentally it was a natural step to to do that sure. sort of education sure so i did two years there and then I worked at a mountain station in Jämtland. And I realized even more that I wanted to be at home, like in my home county somewhere, like close to my own backyard, what I know. Mm. So I applied to be an activity guide to driving snowmobiles mm -hmm. at a place where we met. And I called him the owner. Uh, fantastic guy and then a few minutes a few minutes or yeah not that long after we had talked he called back and said well you can come and start in October are you coming mm -hmm. yeah yeah so then, then, <laughs> then sort of work from 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 that oh yeah I worked in 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 retail in the outdoor industry for that like time in between I worked at the mountain station and started this this job um, so it was a nice change to go from just looking at the stuff to actually using to it. actually going out and yeah. doing it again. Yeah, I mean, retail not, sucks, man. <laughs> I mean, it it, it 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 was it was quite fun because you can't stand there and, and daydream in that sense, yeah. but it's like there's there's zero. So only so much daydreaming gets you. Yeah, and there there's there's zero sort of uh, feelings of looking at things that you can trade with actually doing things. yeah of course so it's yeah yeah and it kind of leads me on to another question and it's again something that we were kind of discussing this evening um and it is a very in-depth sort of uh conversation there's a lot of nuance involved in it but we were talking about the difference between let's say having like a formal education um or like having a skill set so to speak mm -hmm. let's say you understand it from books versus having actually experienced it and living in it and it's interesting because you wouldn't consider yourself particularly like uh in your own words you wouldn't consider yourself particularly um like knowledgeable and yet no the experience you have i think in my opinion far outweighs well like you, you need both you need mm -hmm. both and we were talking about let's say bushcraft as as the main example mm -hmm. um people that come from the uk people that come from ireland where i'm from and things um our our outdoor experiences for the most part are quite um they're piecemeal they're on the weekends they're mm -hmm. very sort of uh you go out with an intention of trying to um 
get better at a particular skill or you might have read it in a book over the week and you it's something that you want to try out when you get out in the weekend and so in that regard you're you're upskilling in a very sort of intentional way and there's definitely merit in that i believe that if you if you're going to learn something you have to structure your learning i think structured learning and, and having a goal um exponentially increases your abilities and your at the rate at which you learn mm. but at the same time you're living and breeding it every day through just by default because you kind of have to be up here and and i was i used the example of there's a difference between so i was reading there's a chart in a book that uh that johan schoolman wrote for the swedish military about winter combat and there's a there's a chart in it that shows basically um speed uh temperature mm -hmm. and what wind that chill. relates to yeah. to wind chill so I can look at a chart and say, okay, if I'm driving at 30 kilometers an hour and it's minus 25 out, that's essentially the equivalent wind chill of minus 49 degrees mm -hmm. centigrade. And you can read that and know it and, and understand the chart back to front. But, un but until you've actually experienced that, even for 10, 15 minutes, you just really understand just how cold, what, 40, what, minus, what minus 49 feels like. Mm -hmm. And you might not have even known that that was the number. Right. But you know that if I'm driving at this speed, I need to be wearing X, Y, and Z because it's a whole different ball game. Right. Yeah, and and that's the other thing is knowing how to keep yourself warm in those temperatures. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god, yeah. this has been an absolute like uh, speed speed dating for, for cold <laughs> weather for me. It's like, well, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But right. it's 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 a super interesting like topic because like like you said, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily put myself in the that I know a lot of stuff corner when it comes to skills like set skills of how to do different things mm. um, I wouldn't necessarily call myself inexperienced when it comes to being out in winter either um, but that comes from a trial and error perspective mm. not necessarily the uh, academical perspective of reading so I, I said i grew up 45 minutes away from here so it's sure this is the climate that i grew up in so yeah. i don't have i've never had the need quotation marks to do the academic way of those things but it, it is it is uh, yeah i don't know I mean, I... It's a tricky one. I never have considered myself like a quote-unquote bushcraft person. Sure. Um, but I am someone, of course, who... Lives in the bush. Lives in the bush. <laughs> does the craft, I suppose. Yeah. But um, uh, I think, like... Even basket, picking berries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, when we worked at our last place, I gained so much experience... Because I was doing so much all the time. Mm -hmm. and But I was doing so much because I had to. It was my job. Uh, so I feel like it's that like trial and error you have. If you get it wrong this time, mm -hmm. you got a chance to do it again yeah. in the next, next day. day yeah. You know? Yeah. So you really have so many opportunities to to learn in that kind of environment. Yeah. And it's like it's just like a completely different kind of experience when you're quote-unquote forced to live it every day yeah. and it's the same thing with learning how to work with dogs i see people or i you know hear of people who start working with dogs because they just get sled dogs one you know one or two and then they get hooked 
And I have done it the other way where I've always worked for other people until I felt personally ready to have my own. I, for my own learning's sake, I can't imagine doing it the other way where I would just have my own dogs because Mm. I felt like I had such a good uh, environment where I was able to learn a lot uh, before I felt like I was ready to do it myself. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, that that that's the in 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 my head with the um, skills versus experience sort of approach to different things. It's often come down comes down to what your end goal is. Mm-hmm. Like my my end goal is to be comfortable in what I'm doing when mm-hmm. I'm outside, knowing that I can uh, be fine. No, in 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 a wide variety of conditions even if something happens that I couldn't plan for knowing that I will be okay and then work from there and someone else might be having the sort of expectation and and idea of what their end goal is that they will they want to know how to make and we talked about like how how many different ways there are to make fire their goal might be that Mm -hmm. So my but my my and my my goal is coming from the other perspective sure. of how I. It's like a I, practical sense. Pra- practical sense, and not none of them are right or wrong. No, like not it's at it's, all. A, it's two different approaches to to the same sort of thing. Like I need to make a fire, but if I'm out with the dogs and I'm tired, what's the reasonable way to make a fire? And yeah. what works in winter? Mm. Like there's only so much that properly works. Mm. If you're cold, your fingers are cold like you can't really have any proper dexterity yeah you're not lighting matches with yeah you, light ma- ma- matches is, is is quite a is quite a solid way like yeah. but you're not going to do not a bow drill for example drill, yeah. Or yeah yeah hard feather sticks or all of these things that are uh skills based i guess mm-hmm. but in context yeah 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 and i think um like for example if you could take into consideration like um like the Pathfinder School course mm. criteria, for example, their 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 criteria or their the what would you call it? the curriculum is centered around an emergency situation, mm-hmm. wherein you have to safely get yourself out of a situation, mm-hmm. or if you can't, well, well, first of all, get yourself out of a situation as quickly as possible, but in the meantime you know retaining core body temperature right. keeping yourself dry right. keeping yourself sheltered how to light a fire how to get a shelter up in enough in, in a quick enough time before you're going to get soaked or whatever on yeah. or if you've only got two matches you know can you establish a fire with only right. two matches or mm-hmm. you know and if you don't if all you've got is a knife and a pot how are you gonna you know things mm-hmm. like that and i think uh it's one thing that i've noticed and it's not a criticism but it's something that i've just it's just a no- thing i've noticed here is that I haven't seen now maybe I could be wrong, but I haven't seen a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on um, emergency situations up here, and people don't seem to think about it that much. He thinks about it all. You the think time. about it, okay? That's good because I just from a few conversations I've had with people, it's like, well, what would you do if like you were? Yeah, I guess you know. I was like, do you keep an emergency blanket? Do you keep that? And they're like, nah, not really. No, and you're no, like, we do. Yeah, well, I'm glad you do. Yeah. But, but it's interesting because, I mean, I was. I've been stuck in the snow here by myself only once and I was by myself for 20 minutes trying to dig myself out Mm -hmm. of the snow and it wasn't too cold of a day but I was kind of starting to get a bit worried you know and I knew that they'd be back they'd realize because I was at the back of the line 
So I got stuck. I got bogged down in the snow and I had to just wait for someone to come back and help me and pull my sled out and stuff. But if, God forbid, I was by myself or my belt mm -hmm. broke or my, my, mm -hmm. my snowmobile broke down, uh, we're in the next place to walk is like miles away yeah. Yeah. and it's getting in late in the evening it's like dude it'd be so easily to die out here yeah you know and it's like one like wrong i've been so paranoid about taking wrong turns in the forest mm -hmm. even when i'm by myself or not wearing like the right clothes i was like because it's so quickly within five minutes you can feel like you're fine so like within five minutes, you're like, God, I'm getting kind of cold now. And mm. out of nowhere, you can't feel your fingers. Mm. It's like, shit, man, that happened fast. And it just really makes you realize just how quickly things can go south up here. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad I'm, it's good to hear that. But like what, what kind of uh, things would you take into consideration? Obviously the cold and. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Like I, it's. We, I mean, I'll say this. Yeah. We, where we drive dog sled where we most of the time um where we go we almost always have cell service mm -hmm. um we know enough people that there's always someone who can come out on a snowmobile i would say most of the time that we would be able to find someone to come out on a snowmobile to help us if there was an emergency like that and anywhere we are around here it is within a reasonable walking distance home right yeah. if we could leave the dogs for example right if something happened in yeah. that way so it's it is a super tricky subject, I guess. In winter, of course, you have so much less wiggle room of something going bad because you have quite a harsh climate working against you. Um, but it's also important to put in context of the skill level of someone to keep calm or solve the problem like mm -hmm. getting stuck with a snowmobile for example um i haven't gotten into a situation yet and i i of course i know that i can get into a situation if i injure myself that i would be like i cannot get this one out mm -hmm. like I, I i know that i will be able to get it out somehow yeah. if it takes me 20 minutes or three hours it's coming out mm -hmm. so it's i i have i have of course, faith in my in my skill level to get it out in that, for example, or the belt, for example, always having a second belt. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, then of course, like we, we when we go out for longer runs with the dogs, we always bring some extra snacks with us for us for the mm -hmm. dogs. We always make sure that we pack enough warm clothing with us. We yeah. always bring water in thermoses. We don't need to worry about the it. Or I bring water in thermoses. Yeah. So I don't need to worry about the water freezing at any point. So I don't have to deal with frozen water bottle and trying to heat that up. So mm -hmm. you always have water readily available. Um, and we always then, have our first aid kit for ourselves as well as the dogs. Yeah. Most of it's like sort of the same, but yeah. like we yeah. always consider what the dogs might need as well as us. And then be like... Spare equipment. Uh, yeah, spa exactly. Spare harnesses really and important. things like that. Yeah. And spare Yeah, lines. things break. Yeah. yeah, and even today, like, yeah. I mean, we got bogged down in that, and not, what's it called, and the overflow, overflow yeah. Yeah. and through digging ourselves out, I mean, you lost your castrum. Yeah. You know, so these things happen, you know, it's like... <laughs> Don't remind him. Yeah, I know, it's, it's yeah. We're, we're on the market for getting, uh, getting your mice a new knife, so yeah. knives and tools, if you're listening, hook us up. But, um, 
It will be put to good use. Yeah, it absolutely Cutting would. beaver, smooth, and <laughs> dog sex. And dog sex, yeah. Yeah, we'll send you some Bavarhoit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it's with like emer- emergency equipment, it's it's easy and it's tempting to uh, to give you a uh, list. Like, yeah, these course. are the 10 things yeah, you should yeah, always yeah, yeah. have. And that's but not really what I'm looking at. I suppose mm. it's more about the... It's something that you do consider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It's like, we we might go out, or Hannah might go out driving dogs when I'm not at home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I'm at home, I have the snowmobile, so I will always be able to go and assist her. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I might go out when she's not at home. So yeah. there's we need to still consider, of course, emergencies for us, but mm-hmm. emergencies for the dogs as yeah. well. Yeah. Like, our plan and ideas for how to deal with that, yeah. what's reasonable, and how to sort of... Uh, what's the word Tri- triage like when you decide yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's a triage yeah, yeah. Uh, how, Actually, how to plan all of these things or, or at least have it in the back of our heads or talk to each other about these different things that can happen mm-hmm. and then when we go out we often take a couple of logs of firewood with us from our yeah. own firewood stores yeah. so we, that we know that's dynamite dry so yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like breathe heavy on it and catch <laughs> yeah yeah that's so it you gotta sneeze on it, and yeah. Catch for it yeah this is actually a topic that comes up in dog mushing facebook groups often which is what do you keep on your person mm-hmm. because yeah. versus what you keep in your sled absolutely because the first rule of dog mushing is don't let go of your sled the mm-hmm. second rule of dog mushing is don't forget rule number one right but inevitably at some point in your life you will lose your sled yeah and if you're out there on your own and the dogs go wrong and the dogs are gone you better hope your phone is not in a in your bag in your sled because right. that's gone with you. Right, so your right. phone better be on your person. Yeah. Your knife better be on your person. Yeah. Um. You know. Fire kit better be on your yeah. person. Some sort of snack better better be on we, your person. Yeah, we would have like a mini. I I actually don't have it this season. A mini first aid kit on our person. I used to carry that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, my knife, yeah, this, my this, phone. This season has been a little bit stupid, stupid, <laughs> relaxed in that way. But, yeah, my phone, for example, is always on me and mm. close to my body mm-hmm. so that it's warm. The, the battery doesn't die. So the battery doesn't right. die, yeah. exactly. Yeah. My knife is always on me. And those, for me, are the most important Multi-tool things. and, like, Multi-tool so, so small as well, stuff. Yeah. So we yeah, you keep a Leatherman solve, as well. Yeah, yeah. solve yeah, the situation. That's really, uh, uh, Leatherman's really important with dude, dogs, dog equipment. It's the, yeah. it's probably the number one tool yeah. when it comes to that. Cause it's everything from, uh, clamping down S hooks. So S hooks is a little metal hook that yeah. we use enough, for necklines. Yeah. Enough, enough pressure. It breaks. Yeah. So that the dogs don't get stuck into the line so they can always pull it off if uh, they really need to. Okay. Okay. So you can clamp them back together. Okay fantastic to use yeah, a little I mean, the letterman is, is a fantastic tool. i mean yeah. even when i again to go back to like dave's uh pathfinder course i had um i had a bk a pks with me yeah and big ass french trade knife i was like it's gonna be great um after the first day like the, the spine wasn't sharp enough to get a ferro right. thing and i failed like one of the one of the deliverables because i couldn't get a fire established and after that day after that uh one failed deliverable all I used for the rest of that entire course was the leather one. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I was stripping birch bark. I yeah. was using the back of the saw for the ferro rod. Mm. The knife is fantastic. It locks. It, the Leatherman is, is, an, is, I mean, you could, you could pass a Pathfinder course with just a Leatherman. Yeah, you can know? I yeah. do that. Like it, yeah. it's, it's, it's just like with anything yeah. with the, when it comes to equipment, be yeah. learning to be proficient with yeah. what you have and yeah. figuring out what works for you is yeah. key. And then it, doesn't matter if you find 
one knife and decide to have it for 10 years and figure it out or if you just yeah. decide to buy 100 knives and yeah. then yeah. you figure that out it's like yeah. different different ways of of learning yeah but like, you need to start at some point to work with what you have yeah, yeah. to get proficient with exactly it. yeah exactly but I, I love that idea because it is something that is drilled into all of all of us uh, as outdoors people you've got your pack but what do you keep on your person mm-hmm. if you lost your pack if you put it down by a tree to like go and take a piss or whatever yeah. and you can't find it it's like shit yeah. <laughs> what have i got yeah. on me yeah and it's not so maybe it's not so dangerous in, in ireland or in the uk and so but in the states some of those forests are so dense like you can mm-hmm. just get turned around so quickly mm-hmm. and even in sweden particularly when it's snowing yeah your sense of direction gets so skewed yeah it's so easy to get lost and then being in a uh, area where they've had a clear cut within the last 10 years or something so they stuff start to grow again mm-hmm. it's like walking into an absolute maze yeah yeah for sure like if you for if you if if for any reason you forget to look at your own tracks because yeah. snow you can see your own tracks where yeah, you yeah. came from yeah if forever for whatever reason you forget to look where you're at or forget to walk back the same uh, place as you came from it's an absolute nightmare maze to navigate through yeah. that yeah but it, it is like it, that's something we think about with uh, keeping stuff in our person mm-hmm. if the dog dogs take off like in a perfect world dogs would stop mm-hmm. if you tell them to stop and some people train their dogs to do that which is extremely yeah. impressive we haven't gotten to that point no uh, so yeah like the, the the beautiful thing around here at least if we're here is that the dogs would run the the trail that they wanted to run that day and then they would run back yeah. home <laughs> okay. it's not it's not like that they would be like all right Optimism. there's not a person on here uh-huh. yeah. it's super easy for us to run so we're gonna run 100 k's yeah so like no, today on like, a track we don't know. Yeah, or so anything, the, the, yeah. the lead dogs will basically if if we don't give uh, the left or right command to the lead dogs, they will decide which trail yeah. to take themselves. So in that case, if the sled would be upright for the whole trip, mm-hmm. the dogs would take their route or the loop that they wanted to take, yeah. and then they would run back home. Yeah. yeah. So in that sense, it, it's fine. But then of course, like if you're further out, you might be thirty, forty kilometers away from home. Even then, if you lose the dog team and you know that they're gonna run home, then yeah. you still have to walk thirty kilometers. Yeah, exactly. Home, right? yeah. yeah, so you still need to have some sort of a yeah. contingency plan, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, for me, I mean, obviously, you know, not with the dogs or whatever, but just the amounts that I've learned, even in just a few weeks I've been up here, just the difference in like weather, the difference that snow makes, the difference that being wet makes. Yeah. Mm-hmm learn that today yeah yeah, (laughs) i was soaked (laughs) but i mean it's been an absolute uh like man it's been like what would you call it like a racetrack learning experience Mm -hmm. for me jumping into the deep end yeah Yeah, absolutely and i've been out i've been doing outdoors for a number of years now but this is a whole different ball game Mm. and i do genuinely feel as though after leaving here in in a month or so like the level of or not the level but the amount of just first-hand experience it's it's crazy how quickly you pick these things up and how quickly you have to learn them yeah well you have to yeah and 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 as we as i mentioned earlier like in in winter you don't have the necessarily wiggle room to make mistakes really make mistakes well you 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 yeah exactly but uh, well there's less wiggle room until a mistake becomes a a problem a problem yeah yeah Yeah. so in, in in summer you always have like all right, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit wet. I'm a little bit cold. I can, that's, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. 
it's warm out. Yeah. Of course, long term, that could cause yeah. a problem. You put that situation in minus 15, minus 20 degrees Celsius, then that becomes a whole different yeah. thing to, to have to deal yeah. with. So yeah. it's, it's sort of, you can learn, you can, you, can, you can do a lot of the summer stuff up here when it comes to learning things. You just need to excel your understanding of cause and effect. Mm-hmm. Or not, is, is it cause and effect? Yeah. yeah, why not? Basically, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I will say something, though, that, like, because our seasons here are so defined and, like, so specific to what's happening, I feel like every season I have to relearn well, a yeah. few things. Forgotten. You're out of the yeah. rhythm. You're yeah. out of the routine. Yeah. So every winter season I inevitably go out without my big coat. Yeah. You know, because I'm like, ah, it's fine. Like, yeah. I'll be fine. And then I'm like, okay, did that once this season. That's done. Or yeah. I go out without with the wrong boots on or, yeah. you know, something. So yeah. Yeah, same thing with me. It's like if you don't bring your big mittens yeah. on, on a longer snowmobile you ride regret or, it or quickly. Dog yeah. run. And, and like, you only need it to happen <laughs> once, yeah. per, once per season. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also like a, a um, good little uh, refresher mm-hmm. in... Okay, how do I deal with my cold fingers yeah, now when yeah. I don't have an, a choice? I know I'm okay. Like I'm, I know like I'll be fine. Yeah. I will. I will be coming home. But it's a matter more of being comfortable mm. or uncomfortable. Yeah. Choosing to uh, do something about it or just accept the uncomfortable mm. feeling mm. and then you just continue home. Right. Yeah. So that time point in time, it's if you have these sort of. Mental capacity, it's a great way of yeah. just figuring out how to do it when it matters. Yeah. So not reading about it, but when it matters. Right. Or yeah. It's a semi-controlled environment, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah, on I your mean, way home, you're but not too you still need to deal away. with yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, guys, I mean, it's been a... I mean, it's only the first evening here. we got lots of plans tomorrow. Yeah, we're going to go sure. out and we're going to shoot some video. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to get that up in a couple of weeks. Um, but until then... I uh, just want to say thanks for coming on. It's been a long time coming. I've just said I've been telling people that I'm going to get a chance to chat with you guys. And it's been, uh, yeah, it's been great. So thanks. Yeah, yeah thank thanks. you. All right. All right. All right. Have a good one, guys. You too. Bye.